Well, turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 27, we're continuing, of course, our study of the gospel of Matthew. We've been going verse by verse, passage by passage through Matthew. Matthew presents Jesus as the king of the Jews. It's really powerful because we're now at the end, basically, end of his ministry, of his first coming. He is on the cross. He has come to die and to pay for the sins of the world, to be buried and rise again, conquering death. We see him as our substitute. He dies on the cross to pay for our sins. He is the mediator between God and man. It is Jesus Christ. We have been seeing the seven statements of Christ on the cross. What's amazing is we can't just go through one gospel to see it. As you remember, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew presents Jesus as the king. Mark presents him as the servant. Luke presents him as man. And John presents him as God. Well, when you study those four books, because they all present Jesus in a little bit different light, when you go through those books, you, you can see that some have some information, some have the other. And so it takes really all going through all of the books to get the seven statements of Jesus Christ on the cross. Well, this morning we're going to see his last two statements. He is dying on the cross outside of Jerusalem for the sins of the world. We think about it, the Jews are crucifying because he is the son of God. The Romans are crucifying Jesus because he is, is the king of the Jews. And we realize that he is dying to pay for our sins. That's why he's on the cross. This morning, we see Jesus has finished the work. He has done it all. He has made it possible that all of us can be reconciled to God simply by faith. And so we'll see it as we go through our passage. I recently read a book, but basically it was really an article in a business magazine, which was really unusual for me because I don't usually read business magazines, but it was talking about what makes a successful person or even a successful worker or leader. And they were saying, what are the characteristics of somebody that is really a good worker or a good employee? And they listed several things like knowledge and intelligence and people skills and then skills and things. But they came up with one more and they basically said, here was the key one. It was dependability. It was consistently, it was to finish what they started. And that's what they said. They said so many times in our culture that people will start something, they never finish it, they just go on. And, and what they were saying is, the key is to do what you're supposed to do and finish it. When you think about the Christian life, I remember reading a guy by the name of Oswald Chambers. Here's what he wrote. He says, it requires supernatural grace of God to live 24 hours every day as a believer, to go through the ordinary, unobserved existence as a disciple. We think we have to do exceptional things. No, we're to be exceptional in the ordinary things. And I think one of the things for us as believers, the, the bottom line, we know that when we stand before Jesus, what do we want to hear him say? Well done, good, and faithful to do the things we're supposed to do and basically say to finish what we start. As we look at the life of Jesus Christ, as we look, he came to do the will of the Father. He came to seek and save those who are lost. He came to give his life as a ransom. This morning, we see that Jesus Christ finished his work. He did what he was supposed to do. He is the one who died on the cross to pay for sin. His ministry on this earth at this time is about to be over. Jesus is the mediator between God and man. Jesus finishes his work and returns to be with the Father. And so as we've been studying this, we've been seeing what Jesus said on the cross. And as I said a while ago, if you just read the Gospel of Matthew, you wouldn't get very much. You'd get maybe one or two little statements. But when you look at it, there are seven different sayings that Jesus has said on the cross. He said, we thought, Luke, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He said to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. He said to his mother, he said, woman, behold your son. He basically gave his mother to John. And he said to John, behold your mom or behold your, the woman, which meant his mother 
together there. He said, my God, we saw this last week. My God, my God, why have y'all, why have you forsaken me? Why did you do this? We're gonna, we talked about how Jesus took on the sin of mankind and was separated from the Father. We saw last time he said, I thirst. We'll review that again. And then the two more we're going to see this morning is in John 19.30 and in Luke 23. We'll see those. It, it says, it is finished. That means the work is done. And Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. We will see those. Now let me remind you of what happened. Jesus was arrested. Three trials basically for the Jews. Three trials before the Romans. By nine o'clock in the morning they had put Jesus on the cross. And basically he is basically there for us, to die for us. In the first three hours, basically from nine to twelve, he said, forgive them today you'll, to, the thief in, to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. And to his mother he entrusted her to John. And then something happened. At 12 o'clock in the middle of the day, it suddenly got dark as night. And from 12 to 3, there was darkness. And what we know is happening is Jesus Christ is suffering right then. He is being separated from the Father. He is taking the sins of mankind on himself. That was the symbolic aspect of the judgment when God brought the darkness. This is when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We talked last week when he said, my God, my God, my God, the Father, my God, the Spirit. He is being separated because the sin of mankind is placed on Jesus Christ. And for the first time in all of all of everything, because we can't just say all of history. We're talking about for all eternity, the Father, Son, and the Spirit, they've all been in perfect unity and fellowship together. At that point in time, Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, the sins of mankind were placed on him, and he is separated from the Father and the Spirit. That's why I think he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he took the sins of mankind. The fellowship was broken with the Father because he took our sins upon himself to pay that penalty. He also then said, we saw it last week. He said, I thirst. This also fulfills scripture. It's showing that he's the mediator and it's getting him ready to say his final two statements. And so as we look at this morning, here's how we'll break down the passage. He says, it is finished. We'll go to John 19.30 to see that. Then he says, into your hands I commit my spirit. We'll go to Luke to see that. And then we'll come back again to Matthew 27 for this. And we'll also start in Matthew 27 this morning. So we're going to see how it all ties together. So look at Matthew 27. Look at verse 45 just to get where we are. Remember the dark is come. It says, now from the sixth hour, that's 12 o'clock in the day, darkness fell upon the land until the ninth hour, that's three o'clock in the afternoon. The sin of mankind, this is why the darkness has fallen, the sin of mankind is being placed on Jesus Christ. And he says, and, and it's, it's a powerful time, and can you imagine being there, and all of a sudden, it's, it's normal day, it's supposed to be 12 o'clock noon, it's supposed to be, the sun's supposed to be right up, it's supposed, and all of a sudden, Everything gets dark. It gets like it's night. And people are, all, people are afraid. I guarantee you that the people were afraid. Those Roman soldiers that were there crucifying uh, the three people, I imagine it was an amazing thing. Jesus Christ is taking our sin. If you notice in verse 46, it says about the ninth hour, three o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? And the forsaking, of course, is to take the sin upon himself. That's what he's doing. And if you remember that, that in the temple in Jerusalem, at nine o'clock in the morning, they offered what they called the morning sacrifice. At three o'clock in the evening, they offered what they called the evening sacrifice. Jesus Christ was put on the cross at nine o'clock in the morning when they were offering the morning sacrifice. And Jesus Christ is being separated and dying, in a sense, from the Father and the Spirit 
at three o'clock in the afternoon. He indeed is the Lamb of God who has taken away the sin of the world. And this is what happened. So he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He has taken our sin. We could never take it for granted. Every one of us in this room ought to go, it's just amazing that we'd say, it's amazing to me that the Son of God, that the Father poured out the sins of every human being, past, present, and future. Any human being that's ever lived, will live, living now. Any sin that's ever been done, past, present, future, laid on Jesus Christ at one time. He bore in his body our sins when he was on the cross, and he is separated from the Father. This is when he dies for our sins. A lot of people are confused. They think when Jesus died physically, they'll say, when did Jesus pay for our sin? When he died on the cross. Not when he died physically. He died when he was separated from the Father. That's when he took our sins and paid the penalty. We're going to see before he dies physically, he's going to say it is already finished. We'll see that. So look what happened. Uh, Verse 47, and some of those who were standing there, when they heard it, when they heard what he said, they they began saying, this man is calling for Elijah. And he's speaking in Aramaic, probably maybe Hebrew, Eli, Eli, which means my God, my God. But they thought he was saying Elijah, Elijah. So they said, this man's calling for Elijah. Immediately one of them ran, taking a sponge, he filled it with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave him to drink. And so what we realize, and we're going to see it, we saw it a little bit last week, but Jesus up, lifted up on the ground, maybe his feet, maybe right there, and he's up on the cross, and so they know he's wanting to say something, so somebody, he said, he's saying something about Elijah, so somebody went and got a sponge, they put vinegar, what they call sour wine, put it on the top of a little branch thing, it was hyssop, which was a type of branch, they put it on the top, and then they raised it up so he could try to taste it, that's what they're trying to do, and he's doing this on purpose, because he wants to be able to say, because the last, the next thing he's about to say may be the most important thing that he says for us. So look on, it goes on and says, verse 48 again, immediately one of them ran and taking a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a reed, gave, it, gave him to drink. But the rest of them said, let's see whether Elijah will come to save him. And so we see he's talking about I thirst and what happened after this. Jesus is about to announce what he has done, that what he, that he has done what the Father has sent him to do. So let's do this. Let's turn to John. Hold your place in Matthew 27 and turn Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Turn to the, the fourth book of the New Testament and go almost to the end of the book, John chapter 19. John chapter 19. And we're going to look at it. We're going to see what happens there. And we'll look at verse 28 is where we'll start. This will give us a little bit more information, in fact. It's a great thing that God didn't just give us Matthew or just Mark or just Luke or John, but he gave us all four. And it's amazing. I remember when I first trusted Christ and I'd never read the Bible. I started reading. I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, because I actually started at Genesis and then I got over to Leviticus and I got bogged down. So I said, I better take the new part instead of the old part. And, and when I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I realized that Matthew, Mark, and Luke especially were almost the same. I mean, it seemed the same to me. And I thought, wow, uh, you know, why is it that way? And later on, as I began to grow as a Christian, I began to realize that Matthew wrote for a particular reason, and Mark for a particular reason, and Luke for a particular reason, and John for a particular reason, and yet when we put them all together, we get the big picture. So when we look at the gospel of John, we get the big picture, some of the things Jesus said. So look at verse 28 of John 19. It says this, and after this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished, 
to fulfill Scripture, he said, I am thirsty. Now, all things have already been accomplished. What things have been accomplished? Well, when you think about it, the work is finished. All things have been accomplished as Jesus Christ had left the glory of heaven. He became a person. He grew up at 30 years old. He started his ministry. He had the ministry for three, three and a half years. He then now has gone and died on the cross to pay for the sins of mankind. He has already paid for sin. Just remember that. He has already been separated from the Father. The payment has been made. And saying there is after Jesus, knowing all things have already been accomplished. He is the Savior of the world. He's already done it all. He then says, to fulfill Scripture, he says, I am thirsty. And we, we look at this, and so they get, so basically got a jar of sour wine, that's the thing, and they put it on a sponge, on the sour wine, upon a branch of hyssop, so we didn't get all that information from Matthew. They just said they used a reed. This is hyssop, and they brought it up to his mouth. And so now he's going to make a statement because he said, I thirst. And so they brought something to him. And look at his statement in verse 30. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And then John goes on and says, and he, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. We know from Gospel of Luke, he still says one more thing. And we'll see it in just a minute. But he said, it is finished. It is finished. The work has been done. Jesus Christ has completed the work that he came to do. He has been separated on the cross. He's paid for the penalty of sins. Remember, he came to the earth to do the will of the Father. He came and he did the will of the Father. He humbled himself to be obedient to death, even the death of the cross. That's why I love you know, Philippians chapter 2, when it says that the mind that was in Christ Jesus being you, even though he was with God, he came and he humbled himself to become a human being, and he humbled himself to be obedient to death, even the death on the cross. I mean, it's amazing. And it's done. It's finished. He has paid the penalty. Understand, everything is necessary. Jesus Christ has done everything necessary to save a human being. It's not based on you. It's not based on your works. It's not based on how good you are. It's not based on what you try to do. There's not one thing you can ever do. It is already done. The penalty for sins has already been paid. Jesus has done it all. He has now opened the way that you can have eternal life, and it comes simply by faith. It is not your works or goodness. It is faith alone in Christ alone. It is not what you promise to do or try to do or turn away from or do anything. He's done it all. You're saved by faith. Let me show you something. Jesus said, it is finished. That is the Greek word telestai. Telestai, it says, it is finished. It means paid for. It was the completion of a debt. That's what it was. If you went to a store and you owed money and they said, you still owe us $20 and you gave them $20 and that day and time they would take your bill and they would write at the bottom, telestai, which means it is finished or it is completely paid for. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, telestai, it is completely finished. He paid the penalty for sin. That's why 1 John 2, 2 says he is the satisfactory payment not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. He's paid for every sin for every human being. You cannot add to it. There's not one thing you can do. You can't try to be good. You could never be good enough. Jesus has done it all, and all he tells you to do is to trust in him, and he gives you eternal life. There was a guy by the name of Harry Ironside. He was a great teacher, in the, in the early 1900s, he used to go around doing prophecy conferences, but he always gave the gospel. And the story is told that a guy was late. He got there at the end, and, and Dr. Ironside was already through teaching. And so as the story says that the guy came up to Dr. Ironside and said, Dr. Ironside, I missed the whole thing. Tell me what I need to do to get right with God. Tell me what I need to do to satisfy God. And Ironside said, you're too late. 
And the guy went, hey, I know it's over. I know it's over, but, I, but tell me what I need to do. And Ironside looked at him again and said, you're too late. And the guy grabbed Dr. Ironside and said, I know I'm too late for the meeting, but tell me what I need to do. And he said, you're too late. Jesus has already done it all. Jesus has paid the sacrifice. You don't have to do anything. He's done it all. You take the gift of eternal life, which is by faith. Some of you out here may be thinking, I, I, what do I need to do to get to God? What kind of things do I need to do? Jesus has done it all. Telestai, it's paid for. The penalty of sin has been paid for, and he says when you trust in Jesus Christ, he gives you eternal life. It's finished. Jesus Christ was separated from the Father on the cross, and the payment for sin is made. It is finished. It is done. It is all over. He is the Savior of the world, and he is the, he's already paid the price. And for any of us, if you say, well, how, do, how does a person have eternal life? It comes simply by faith, trusting in Jesus Christ, the one who died and rose again, the one who offers the gift of eternal life. Well, he's got one more thing, and I want you to just turn back toward the front of your Bible. Just go up to the Gospel of Luke. You're in John. Just turn to Luke, which is just a few pages, to Luke chapter 23, and we're going to look at uh, basically verse 46 verse 46, and we'll see what Jesus says. And this is his final statement on the cross. So we've seen the seven, which this will be the last one. Look what he says in verse 46. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Now he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Now I want you to notice something, and you may notice it carefully, that he calls God, his Father. Now, you remember when he was on the cross, when he was taking sin, when he was separated from the Father, he didn't say, Father, Father. He said, my God, my God. Now, the payment has been made. He's back in fellowship. And so what does he call God? He calls him Father because the separation is over. So notice that. On the cross, separated, he says, my God, my God. After the separation is over, after he's back in the fellowship, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus is back in fellowship, and he calls God the Father. Now, you realize something, that the only way that we can come to God is through Jesus Christ. He is, as the song we sang a bunch this morning, Jesus said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Listen, there's only one way to come to God. That is through Jesus Christ. It is not our works. It is not our goodness. It is not through religion. It is not through all kind of things. Jesus is the Savior. He is the one who died and rose again. He's the one that offers the gift. And he says, whoever believes in me will never perish but have eternal life. He is the only way to the Father. Acts 4.12 says there is their salvation and nobody else. There's no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we might be saved. It is the name Jesus Christ. He is the way and the truth and the life, and there's no other way to be saved. And so he says, as he's on the cross, Jesus cries out with a loud voice and said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having done this, he breathed his last. Now, where's he going to go? What's going to happen? Do you remember what he's already said? He, remember what he said, told the thief on the cross? He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. That's what he told the thief on the cross. Well, where's paradise? Luke chapter 16 says that paradise is in the heart of the earth. Now, you realize what's going to happen? When Jesus dies, his body is going to be taken off the cross and put in the tomb. His soul and spirit is going to the heart of the earth. And on one side of that place, Luke 16 says, there's a place called paradise. Jesus is going to go to paradise. 
because that's what he told the thief on the cross. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. I want you to understand. Remember in Matthew 12, uh, 12, 40, says, as Jonah was three, Jesus is speaking, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus Christ, as we know, died and rose again three days later. For those three days, he was in the heart of the earth. What did he do in the heart of the earth? Well, we're not sure. We know that from Second Peter and also the book of Jude that Jesus actually gave a message to some bad angels who were locked up in the, in the heart of the earth. And he also says that he took the believers out of paradise and took them with him. Now, when he did that, we don't know. It could have been during the three days and three nights. It could have been when he ascended into heaven. It could have been at a different time. The Bible never tells us at all. But we know that he, this, when he dies right there, his soul and spirit is going to the heart of the earth. Now, I want you to see something. Look at verse 47. It says, now, when the centurion saw what had happened, now, this is a soldier that controls a 100 other soldiers. He happens to be there. When he saw what had happened, he began praising God, saying, certainly this man was innocent. And, and one of the things uh, you got to see is he says innocent, but the word innocent actually is, means righteous. He is saying this is a righteous man. Now, he's going to say something else. We can't find it here. I'll show you where we'll find it in just a minute. Now, I want you to understand that he dies. I want you to turn back now to the Gospel of Matthew and turn back to chapter 27 and turn back to verse 50. And notice this is where he actually dies in verse 50. And then we're talking about physical death here. It says, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. I think the cry out there is probably, it is finished and into your hands I commit my spirit. Matthew doesn't record that, but that's what he tells us. He cried out again. And by the way, this part of yielding up his spirit, this basically says he gave up his life. This is not the usual word for someone dying. This is a unique word. It meant to give something up. Dwight Pentecost, who was one of my professors at Dallas Seminary, said he didn't die because his life flowed away. He died as an act of his will. He is sovereign over his own death and sovereign over his resurrection. In John 10, 18, Jesus said, I lay down my life, I take up my life. Now, you know, we don't really decide when we die. We're just going to die. Jesus Christ decided exactly when he died. He is the one that gave up his life. He is the one that laid down his life. The payment has been made. I want you to understand something. From Adam and Eve all the way to Jesus, all sins had been covered by sacrifices. It was called kippur. It means cover. We have, there's a day under Jewish holiday called Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur. Some people say Yom Kippur. It means the day of covering. All sins from Adam and Eve till Jesus had been covered. From that point on, Jesus Christ paid for every sin, past, present, and all future. He had, the payment has been made. He has done it all. He has left the glories of heaven. He's become a person. He did the ministry. He went to Jerusalem. He went through the trials. He's put on the cross. He has been separated from the Father. He has now died. And and very soon, we're going to see it as we continue our study, he's going to rise from the grave three days later. Now, what did that centurion say? We saw back over in Luke that he said, this man was a righteous man. He says something else. Look down at verse 54. Look at verse 54. Now, the centurion and those who were with him keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake, they saw the things that were happening, became very frightened, and he said, truly, this was 
the Son of God. So not only did he say he was a righteous man, he said he was the Son of God. Now, the centurion saw everything that happened, and we're going to talk more about it in just a second. But let me ask you this question. The centurion said that Jesus was the Son of God. Who do you say he is? I know there are people on the, the, the Facebook Live, and they're watching and things, and so even those out there, what do you think about Jesus Christ? What do you say about him? Who do you say that he is? When I look around the room, I know so many of you in this room that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he is the Savior, and that you have trusted in him and him alone to give you eternal life. And so that's the the question is, what will you do with Jesus Christ? The, The centurion said he believed that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. What do you believe? Well, some, some miraculous things happened when Jesus died on the cross. There was darkness. The veil was torn. We'll talk about that in just a second. There was an earthquake. The graves were opened. Listen to this. Let me read this to you, and we'll talk about it next week. It says, verse 51, And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in the two from the top to the bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split, and tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they came into Jerusalem the holy city. Now, do you understand that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, there's darkness everywhere, there's earthquakes, the veil in the temple is torn, graves are opened up, and after Jesus is risen from the grave, people come out of those graves and go into the city. And we're going to talk next week, what happened to those people? Now, I wanted to show you one thing, and we'll have a picture of this next week. I'm sorry I didn't put a picture this time. I wasn't going to really get to this, but I want to remind you of something. When you think about the temple, when it says the veil was torn, I want to just give you a picture. You're a Jewish person, and you come to the temple, and you can go in through a gate, and you go in through the gate, and you're in the courtyard. You can go no further. There are priests, and there's a big altar. It's called the brazen altar. It's really big, and it's where they offer sacrifices. So you could give your sacrifice to the priest, and they would offer it. If you could go further, if you were a priest, you could walk around that altar, and you could go to a place called the laver. It's really big, and it's where they wash their hands, and they wash their feet because they had to be clean. They had blood all over their hands from killing and these animals. If you could go around the laver, you now came to what we call the temple area. It's called the naos, which means the inner part. And you could walk into the front room. Now, only the priest could walk in there. If you walked into the front room, over here was a lampstand. Over here was table with bread on it. And right in front of you was this table that had altar, had incense, and incense was going up. And there was a big curtain right behind that huge curtain. It covered the entire wall, the entire room. Behind that curtain was the Ark of the Covenant, in which had a mercy seat, in which once a year a priest could go behind, high priest could go behind the curtain and pour out blood. Regular priest never could go back there. It was symbolic to show that the way to God was not open. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, that curtain tore from the top to the bottom and opened up and you could see into the back room. And the priests that were there, I guarantee you when they looked back, they said, we're not supposed to be able to see back there. And they realized that when Jesus died on the cross, the veil was torn and the way was now open to God. If you go to the book of Acts, after the church began, it says that because of all these things that had happened, a great number of the priests had trusted in Jesus Christ. 
a great number. And we'll talk more about next week about the darkness, about the veil being torn, about the earthquake, about the graves being open. What happened to those people? We'll see that next time. Let me give you some applications as we think about this morning. Let's realize that Jesus has finished his work on the cross. He came the first time to die. He will come the second time to reign as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. If you remember, this is Jesus coming the first time. He left the glories of heaven, came to the earth, died on the cross, paid for sin, rose again, walked on the earth for 40 days and ascended back to heaven. He's going to come a second time to the earth as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's going to set up a kingdom that will rule in righteousness and justice. First time to die, second time to reign. We know that in between, he's going to come for the church and take us out, take us off the face of the earth. But that's not that the first coming to die, the second coming to reign. He has fulfilled what he did for the first time. He has paid for all sin. The sin debt is paid. The sin, listen, the issue of going to heaven is not sin. The issue is faith. It's not what you do with your sins. Your sins are already paid for. It is whether you will believe in Jesus Christ or not. He has paid for all sin. He is the satisfactory payment, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. We take the gift of eternal life, which is simply by faith. The gift of eternal life. God promises eternal life. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, grace, you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will never perish but have everlasting life. Understand, the promise of salvation is that he will give to you eternal life and you will be with him forever. People are confused. They don't even know what to offer people. We talk to people all the time and they'll say something like, well, you got to get saved. And we say, what does it mean to be saved? They don't even know what it means to be saved. To be saved means you have eternal life because the promise is eternal life. Let me show you something. First John chapter 2, verse 25 says, this is the promise which he himself made to us. It is eternal life. When you believe in Jesus Christ, he gives you what? Eternal life. That's the promise. That's what we need. We need life forever. He is the way and the truth and the life. He gives eternal life. Second thing is I want you to think about, let's praise our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's one reason it's so great to have the music and things, because we can lift up our voices in praise. We can worship him through music, through, through singing, through giving, through study, uh, through prayer, all of those things. But let's praise him. Why? Because the work is finished. He is in fellowship with the Father forever. Now, let me show you something. I found this. You'll you'll love this. Look what this says. Let's take a look at Christ. Let's look backward because he's dying for us. Let's look upward. He's interceding for us. Let's look inward because he's living in us. And let's look forward. He's coming for us. That's our Savior, Jesus Christ. And as we think about him, we need to proclaim God's grace and salvation and we accept the gift simply by faith. Don't ever, don't ever add works to it. Don't ever add things to it. Don't tell people they got to be willing to do the following things. Tell them that God in his grace is offering to them eternal life as a gift. He's already done it all. Telestai. It is finished.